Okay, hello everybody. This is episode one of the Stronghold podcast where uh, we discuss all things Asian, MMA, martial arts related, video game, nerd culture, anything that you like. Uh, I'm Coach Luke. We're here at Stronghold MMA and I'm with my best friend Greg, the Brewmaster Spears. I was going to say, let them guess who's the MMA guy and who's the Brewmaster here. Well, your, your beard gives obvious. it away, dude. Well, I, I mean, you have a very you know, a stereotypically beard. Brewmaster type <coughs> beard. I can just imagine you carrying a big, like, Kegs of beer? A big keg of beer. Yeah. Beer down to your Dripping tits. Old. Yeah, yeah. Just Wait until we roll. It'll just be in your face. <laughs> it does. It's a secret weapon. It's a choke. Yeah. You yeah, can absolutely. Like, wrap that around somebody. You can Ezekiel choke somebody <laughs> with your beard. Don't give me ideas. Don't give me ideas. Yeah, it's amazing to be here. Holy moly. This is like... Well, thanks, plane. We got an airplane this, going Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, it, it feels like... What a natural place to be. Yeah. It's like Brujitsu 2.0, upgraded. Yeah, we, thanks, we had man. to do it. We had to do it. So this you know? is episode one of our podcast, but Greg and I actually have an old podcast called Brujitsu, yeah. where we uh, in the archives of the internet. In yeah. the archives of the internet, where we drank beer, kind of reviewed them, talked a little shit, talked about some martial arts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I'm excited to do this one because, for me, there's not really a great source of MMA media breakdown type stuff locally in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And the martial arts scene in Singapore is huge. Mm-hmm. It's massive. There's oh, gyms yeah. everywhere. And I feel like the only place that you can get information about like one championship or any fight scene based out of Asia is through like the normal Big avenues. Podcasts. Like, yep. I mean, you can watch Joe Rogan. You can mm-hmm. watch Brendan Schaub. You can, there are MMA podcasts out mm-hmm. there, but they're all in the U.S. Yep. They're all like UFC based. Yep. And there's a thriving martial arts scene here in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody Even that's, that's MMA talking websites about it. as well, you know, mostly based in the U.S. Yeah, reporting and over here or and we find out growing. on Yahoo or something like that, you know? It's really growing a lot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, One Championship is making some big moves. They've signed Demetrius Johnson, Eddie Alvarez. They have some of the best Muay Thai fighters mm-hmm. and kickboxers in the world now. I think they're going to do a One Championship show in the U.S. The so Turner. Th- so, right? Yeah, with Turner, yeah. apparently. Yep. Well, apparently. I mean, uh, we'll see, we'll see, right? So uh, they're making big moves, and there's mm-hmm. nobody inside Singapore within the scene to talk about it. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a little niche that we can hit there. And uh, for those of you that are listening that don't know, I've been a coach in Singapore, uh, MMA coach for about six years now in Mm -hmm. Singapore and Malaysia. And so I've trained at all the gyms. I trained at Evolve. Uh, I used to be a coach at Trifecta. Mm -hmm. I'm now here. I'm an owner at Stronghold MMA. So I've been in the scene for a minute. And uh, just be nice to get someone who's actually here where the base of one is. And it's just great. The best MMA scene in Asia, Mm -hmm. you know, get the source from the horse's mouth. floating around here as well. And like just coming through... One FC. It's. I mean, admittedly, it's been a hot minute since I've watched a full One FC. I'm just like, time. Um, you still call it One FC? Oh my god! That shit's one championship, Dude, bro. Exactly. They re- exactly. Rebranded. See what I mean? See what I mean? Got, you didn't get the memo. One FC. Jeez, how many years has it been since it was that? But just like the amount of talent coming through, like Demetrius Johnson coming in, appearing, like these are huge names, and it's it's really showing the caliber of fighters over here that I think went under the radar a little bit, you know, because you'll have people that um, maybe are very successful in their country, but they don't have a lot of representation outside of their country, right? And to get on such a global platform like one is huge, you know, Um, and to be able to fight these big names, say American fighters or whatnot, I mean, and beat them, right? That's the crazy thing. It's like, well, you saw Eddie Alvarez, he lost his first fight. He got knocked out by Timothy Nastyukin. In like three minutes, I mean, he got his ass beat in that fight. That's two fights. Do you think fights. he underestimated him? Because he's like, oh, different, you know. I, I mean, that guy's ca- just a beast. Yeah. That was two fights removed from his Conor McGregor fight. Hmm. And so he was two fights removed from being the UFC champion. 
and then he loses to a relative unknown in Asia. Yep, yep. And even Demetrius Johnson has had tough fights, mm -hmm. his first two fights. He, he won both of them, but he was tested a bit more than mm -hmm. people thought. He was tested in some cases more than he was in the UFC. Mm -hmm. So it does bring a little bit of attention to the fighters in one, and it just shows you that in the fight game, you just don't. Mm -hmm. There are people in the unknown parts of Russia. Yeah. And of <laughs> They're Asia, fighting bears in Thailand. forests out there. Yeah. There are people that people don't know about yeah. who are just as good mm -hmm, as mm -hmm, some of these mm -hmm, people that mm -hmm. have been training and fighting MMA at the highest level for mm -hmm. years. And now they're getting the recognition, so more access to like facilities and bigger name gyms and things like that. So their training just kind of hits this tipping point and explodes. Yeah. You know? So they're only going to get better. Which is crazy. And one has done a crazy thing where they've really tapped into this market of Southeast Asia in particular, mm -hmm. which is a mecca for martial arts. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk mm -hmm. about Muay Thai mm -hmm. with the Thais. I mean, yeah. there are countless 17-year-old Thai boys who Cut have had 300 yeah. fights yeah. who will fuck up almost everybody yeah. at the high level in striking in particular. Mm. I mean, you get those people with some grappling and you get those people with jiu-jitsu. And that, I mean, you're talking insane levels of martial arts and that's not to even exclude places like Myanmar mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, Singapore mm -hmm. and Japan and China where mm -hmm, they're starting mm -hmm, to really produce yeah. some talent now. And I mean, this well, whole Japan section kind of always on the radar for yeah. it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Japan was the, the only mecca yeah, yeah, here yeah, yeah. other than yeah, yeah, yeah Singapore exactly. I think now. Yeah. You had to split your, well, yeah. And it was before Singapore. I mean, yeah, it's, before, it's not yeah. that long that it's been in Singapore. Right. So before there, it was Japan. I mean, jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, it's a bit of a misnomer. I mean, that, mm. that shit's Japanese. Mm -hmm. It came from Maeda, who came mm. from Japan, who basically created... He focused on the Nawaza aspect of judo. And for those of you who don't know, judo is... It's all about takedowns, right? You're on the feet, you're wearing your gi, and you can trip, and you can throw each mm -hmm. other. And the idea is just to, just to throw your partner. But there's an aspect of judo on the ground where they can do things like arm bars mm -hmm. and guard, and that's called Nawaza. Right. Right. And Maeda just took Nawaza and pulled that... Is this like... Once you lost your samurai sword, that kind of thing, it was hand-to-hand -hand combat. How would you, how would you incapacitate someone in armor? Right? I don't know. Couldn't they just lock. Well, that's the interesting thing about the Japanese like is they were masters of martial arts right. with weapons right. and then unarmed as well. Right. Because even in their karate and grappling styles, that's all unarmed based. Mixed martial arts. Yeah. You know. And so they took Maeda took that to Brazil, mm -hmm, and he basically took it to the Gracies, mm -hmm. and then they developed it into what it is. But it is in its heart Japanese. Yeah. So they've been the masters, in my opinion, of unarmed combat for Jiu Jitsu is the most Portuguese word as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it would be judo yeah, right. if it if come from the source, if it right. came straight from Japan. Huh. But anyway, so yeah, Japan's been the Mecca, but now I think Singapore is number one. There's so many good places here. I mean, when I first moved to Singapore six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. there were like four gyms. Right. There was yep. like Evolve. Yep. There was like BJJ Singapore. Juggernaut was around. Fight G impact with a k right i think and that was it the, and then now there's a goddamn gym on every block i i couldn't tell you how many there are 30 50 yeah when 60? i go when i go to these jiu-jitsu no tournaments they have your academies there right. as you sign up and the list is just huge there's all these little gyms that people are making you know purple belts opening up their own thing Fair. new black belts all the time the other thing when i came to singapore there were maybe between five and ten black belts in singapore and half of them were at Evolve. Yeah, I was about to, I, <laughs> I was going to say, well, do you think, if, I mean, Evolve's played such a huge part in the growth of Singapore MMA, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. You can't, like... You can't deny that. Yeah, no, or, or deny with, it, ignore it. With One and Evolve specifically, mm -hmm. right? They're owned by Chachri. Yeah, so they're, exactly. They're owned by the same dude mm -hmm. who's... Uh, Lovely dude. You know, the reputation is he's a bit of a gangster. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean... I don't know the man. I trained at Evolve for two years. Uh, I crossed paths with him a couple times, but, you know, he's doing shit. He's running around. But he's got the, the reputation of being a pretty shrewd businessman. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's taken 
martial arts in Asia to the next level. I mean, I'm sure he's got a lot of help doing it, mm-hmm. but with the with Evolve and with one coming up together and he's pushing his brand mm-hmm. in, in that together, it's really just made Singapore a mecca of martial arts. And now all these other gyms are coming in to try mm-hmm. to compete, try to compete with Evolve. And uh, it's good. It's just the martial arts culture in general is just booming right Other now. Other gyms, here. eh? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Stronghold. Stronghold. <laughs> Stronghold MMA. So, uh, you know, we're trying to do the same thing, no, man. They're, they're our it. number one but competitor, I guess you'd say. But it's all love for me, man. As long as there's a place to train. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different markets here. There's different locations. We're the only gym within, like, five kilometers of us. So just on location alone, mm-hmm. uh, there's something to be said there. And as long as the martial arts culture is growing, I'm down. I mean, and Singapore, the irony is, even though Singapore is such a small place, people rarely want to travel very far. So, like, yeah, there is market right? for gyms everywhere. You know? I mean, there's, what, three Evolves? There's 7 million people in fucking Singapore or some shit <laughs> right. like that. Trust me, I don't there's... I think they all go to Evolve. Though. No, they, well, half. <laughs> <laughs> half. I've been to some of those classes, man. They got hundreds of people in there. But then, again, it just shows you how much love there is for MMA in Singapore. Yeah. People crawling out of the woodwork at, like, 6 in the morning or, like, yeah. 9 o'clock at night. It's very trendy right now mm-hmm. here. That's why this is why this is why I want to do a podcast about mm-hmm. it. Because you hear on all of the Western podcasts all the time about Singapore, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. ones doing all these great things, yep. about all the black belts here. It's about the, the outside level. looking in. I mean, we had Keenan Cornelius here when I was at Trifecta. And uh, he came in for a seminar, and he was just rolling with everybody. And we had a group of the instructors all get together mm. to roll with him. And he had no. And there were six black belts there, and I was there for the rolling. I don't. And he even said to us, he's like, "I did not realize the level here was so high." Mm-hmm. He kind of just thought, "Oh, wow. it's in the middle of Southeast Asia. Exactly. It's, it's going to be." But then he rolls up, and there's like six black belts, all Brazilian, yep. ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all chomping at the bit. And he was cool, man. He was cool as fuck. He was really cool. To train I may with. have misunderestimated this place. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> but people are surprised when mm-hmm. they come here about how big the martial arts, martial arts culture is. And, uh, you know, at my gym, we're just trying to expand that. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing about these gyms, right? About Evolve in particular. I mean, they're a mega gym. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds and hundreds of people on that student roster. And, you know, we're going for a different vibe here. Like this is mm-hmm. a small gym. It's owned by a couple people. There's like two teachers. It's the same people every day. Mm-hmm. You're going to mm-hmm. see the same coach when you walk in the door. You're going <laughs> to see me. You're going to see my wife. It's going to be the same people it's all artisanal. the time. It's bespoke MMA. And it's, <laughs> and it's one MMA program. Mm-hmm. It's not Evolve mm-hmm. where you have one instructor this day, yep. one instructor this day, one five ties that you're going with. No, yep. it's like there's a head coach, mm-hmm. and that person's going to take care of you, mm-hmm. and, and that's all it is. So we're looking for an intimate family vibe mm-hmm. here. It's mostly like kids and working mm-hmm. professionals, and we're inside Horse City. My gym is here, and to the left of us is a horse riding a uh, place where you can literally come and ride a horse in the middle of Singapore. Most people don't even think that's the thing. There's a bar across the street. We got a yoga studio here, a kid's baby uh, yep. baby pool for training kids how to swim behind us, and then, like, a preschool over there. So it's just all family family environment. So it's either, like, Clydesdales walking by or, like, little kids running after squirrels and shit with their parents. I'm going to have to be here yeah. at least two days a week. It's perfect. Like, yeah, man, for sure. Soon. you got to come train. But the vibe here is cool, and it's a... Uh, it's a low-key, much more home-friendly training mm. environment. Mm. Everybody here is a working professional. They can't get beat up. Like, there's no one here trying to fight mm-hmm. in one. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're five years old or if you're a 40-year-old dad, you, we're going to find a way for you to train. Mm-hmm. And you're going to train with people from every level. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the scene here is just beautiful, man, and I want to make a podcast and talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> As is. As is happening. And shall we do the tradition when you and I do a podcast? Shall we start? I- uh, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt, but I want to say also to celebrate, mm. right? I mean, yeah, for sure. So this is in celebration of our old brujitsu podcast. We are going to drink what's literally called pink 
Was it? Well, because we were always talking. I'm a, I'm a huge nerd for like sour beers and things like that. Um, and I just got back from California, uh, and a buddy of mine hooked me up with this uh, Belching Beaver Purple Drink. It's a it's a kettle sour made with uh, raspberries and boysenberries and blackberries and things like that. We were always talking about having sour beer on the podcast. We like never got around to it. It's a very underrated beer, man. A lambic or a sour. We discussed this. It's not a lambic, but it's a sour beer, and uh, they're they're underrated. But I think it's because you can't really smash a bunch of them because they're sweet. Watch me. Oh, well. This sweet. I stand corrected. Buddy, you're in trouble. If you oh, think. this one. Look at this. Puckering. Look at this. Look at that pretty little thing. Show, show it to the camera. Absolutely. Yoink. Oh, it's thick, oh. dude. Yeah. It's cloudy. Look at that. This is uh, drink. Super nice. This is drink porn. Yeah, right? Exactly. I mean. How's like, the light? Dude, I'm. Look off that Wugong. Does that look good? I grew up on Ribena. Yeah, dude. Right? <laughs> I mean. You first drink with your eyes, right? And that's... Yeah. Wugong, do you drink? Uh, not beer. No, not beer? This doesn't taste like beer, 100%. It's, oh, it's, it tastes like... Cheers, dude. Cheers, brother. Hey. Brigitte's podcast. Brigitte's podcast. Living on, living on. Yeah, you're doing your thing. Do. I'm doing my thing. It's, we've definitely uh, leveled up. Leveled up Whoa. for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's almost, uh, bit sweet tart. It's got a really... Oh, it really heady, fresh raspberry nose to it. It's almost got... Yeah, a very... A really big wash of raspberry mm -hmm. right away anyone that's just listening that's we're drinking though. this it looks like ribena it's yeah it honestly looks like ribena and it's literally called purple drink oh and it's so. i'm on this constant so, so being a, a brewmaster I, I work in um singapore i work at a company trouble brewing represent trouble stronghold brewing. represent singapore lager baby singapore, singapore lager. lager singapore lager that shit's underrated bro that is a good we're getting there. drink we're getting there taking on the big boys we're not sponsored crazy. by them but i'm saying that's a that's a really solid lager what's the alcohol Let's say like five and a half, six. Purple drink, baby. Purple drink. Not a sponsor. Yeah, but lovely. <laughs> five, five and a half percent. Mmm. What's up? Cold. Anyway, I can pop this down here. Um, but this no, is it it's a sipper, right? It'll, it'll keep you. Oh, yeah. No, like, this, this will do the job. Oh, yeah. And we've got a couple IPAs sitting in the back. Yeah, some of that trash panda. Just in case we get a little trash Again, panda. Again, five percent. So we're not going super, you know, IPA is usually mm -hmm. what, like, like five point two to eight point five percent or something like that five and a half that'll do it perfect yeah i like the light ones anyway that's why we make a session ipa it's four and a half percent because you can just drink way yeah. too many of them and well, not I mean, realize what's happened yeah you don't fall off your chair yeah i teach kids by the way <laughs> so, <laughs> it's past 12 mm. we're recording this past 12 so the sun's officially five o'clock somewhere but not here <laughs> so one you, thing Alan. we got to talk about dude is the fights yesterday oh man so yesterday was ufc 241 yep one of the biggest fights of the year. Oh. Insane card. All three of the main fights were absolutely Delivered. insane. And if you guys haven't seen it, you got to go check that out. Uh, because the, the main event title fight between Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier was insane. Probably the best title fight, heavyweight title fight I've ever seen. Ever. Specifically the heavyweight title fight. I think there's been better fights, but mm -hmm. heavyweight championship fight. Mm -hmm. I think that's up there as one of the craziest fights ever seen. Just slugging it out. Dude. Slugging it out. Even your wife. So we're yeah. sitting there We're sitting there at Greg's house yesterday watching, and his uh, wife, who's eight months pregnant, mm -hmm. seven and a half months pregnant, so, is sitting there, and she's like, these guys are just hitting each other. How are yeah. they not being knocked and like, out? It's not like she doesn't watch MMA. Like, yeah, we'll watch cards all the time. Yeah, so for sure. she's just like, how is they still going? It's they like, were beating the we shit feel the same way. each other. Every time Cormier would snap out a jab, mm -hmm. he would hand fight up like that, parry, and just come off with his jab, and you just see the head get snapped back. But it also, back. you know, it, you talk about Diaz, who 
throws punches and bunches, constant volume, tuk 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 tuk, right? How many hundreds of punches are coming at you? Cormier also threw that many punches, right? But Diaz's punches aren't supposed to put you down. Yeah, those are power punches. Cormier's punches, they all are incredibly hard. Yeah, and Stephen from, too. From like, what, four inches away? Yeah. Something like that, just that's, bunk, bunk. That's the thing that I was saying about yesterday with, with Cormier. So for those of you that don't know, if you, I'm sure a lot of you watched the fight, but Cormier's got this high guard style, right? Where he puts up his hands and he'll almost like hold hands with you or he'll try to grab your wrist. Like the old wrestling. So he's like, yeah, he's yeah. like the old, what's it called? Where you stick your fingers <laughs> and you try to like wrist lock each other. And so he would do that and he reaches and then while his arms extended, like about as far as my arms are extended now. So it's fully extended. Mm -hmm. He'll parry the shot and then come up with a jab that's mm -hmm. no more than, let's say, one foot mm -hmm. or something. So it's not a lot of yeah. distance to generate power on because he's throwing it with his hand already fully extended. Most people will throw a jab from their chin. So they got a lot of distance to cover as they throw that punch. Cormier is throwing it from about one third. Mm -hmm the max distance he could, so he's losing a lot of power. But, but the power he generated from that time, short he's distance. He's also primed against Miocic, who's pushing his hands back, right? Mm. So is well, he parries, be made? pulls back slightly, and then boom, boom throws the shoulder over. in. Mm. So, but either way, it was just insane the kind of power he was mm -hmm. generating mm -hmm. off of what couldn't be any more than like an eight-inch yeah. punch, you know, for a lot of the time. Well, and, I, mean, uh, that's Miocic, I mean, Miocic has range, right? So obviously yeah. you want to try and immediately remove that which is why it's bad for Stipe to touch him like that because mm -hmm. if he's extending his arms he's lost his range which mm -hmm. is the long which mm -hmm. he has the advantage yep. of and he made those adjustments later on and the craziest thing about the fight was Cormier's beating him up yep. with this high guard yep. right he will cross his hands a lot he plays this parry game from when he's touching mm -hmm. your hands and uh, what that does though is when you lift your hands up high above your shoulders like that is Body it exposes shots. your belly yep. and Stipe probably made yep. the best adjustment one of the best adjustments in title fight history. I think maybe an exception could be uh, Henry Cejudo when he just fought Marlon Moraes because Cejudo made a great adjustment because he was getting his ass whooped in that first mm -hmm. round. And I think this is right up there, maybe even more so because this is a big rivalry fight. But, I mean, Stipe, DC was taking it to him. Took him down the first mm -hmm. round, slammed mm -hmm. him on his head, controlled him. I think in the second or third round they said that he was landing 80% of his significant strikes. Crazy? I mean, that is triple 80% what a normal weight. Yes, a heavy throws. Which is why like, your wife is like, how are they hitting each other so much without falling over? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's insane. This is a 40-year-old. This is two dads just beating I mean, the shit and out of each other. Yo Romero, same thing. 42 for him. Like, taking a beating, still I mean, going. some of these people are freaks, man. But anyway, so as you, spoiler alert, the fights were yesterday. Um, But Stipe made an adjustment, mm. and he started throwing the liver shot mm. in the third round. So Cormier's hands... And yeah, sorry, carry on. That's all right. So Cormier's hands are up like this. And when Cormier is going up here to fight, crazy statistic, right? These, um, Stipe comes down, drops his shoulders, and then punches Cormier in the liver. He hadn't thrown a liver shot the yep. entire fight, right? right? He hadn't thrown that punch the entire fight. He finds it in the fourth round. So they're on minute 16, 17 of this brutal fight. Mm -hmm. He throws one liver shot. DC drops his elbows slightly. He sees, sees that it. he yep. hurt him. And then get this, everybody, over the next two minutes, he threw 16 more 16, liver shots. Oh, 16 more, yeah, yeah. 16 more. I think he threw 17. Wow. He didn't throw that punch the entire fight. When he found it once, he spammed that shit <laughs> and busted up Daniel Cormier's guts until he couldn't keep his hands up and then hit him with a one-two, dropped him, put him on the fence, and then finished him. But he could Masterful only... shit. True. But you have to be so durable to have lasted three rounds of those in-your-face punches to be able to say, you know what? These aren't putting me out, so I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a couple on the face, but I'm going to exchange for something that's new. 
Like, that's 15 minutes of watching your opponent hit you with fairly similar things. And right? once he found it, he knew it. Well, yeah. He knew it right away because otherwise late, he would not have thrown it so many you're times. more tired, mm -hmm. you know, like as the rounds are getting on, things like that. Plus, if your hands are up the whole time, you know, and he's got that extra range, it's, it's asking for it. Yeah. You know? well, but only if you have confidence in your chin, which he proved in the previous three rounds. Right. Well, one of the crazy things about this, for those of you that don't know, maybe you're new to martial arts or you're, you're not into it at all, body shots in particular are one of the most veteran moves that you can do. And he did this in two senses of being just a savvy, savvy vet. The first one was that he didn't throw them until late in the fight. Mm -hmm. He saved them. Mm -hmm. He saved mm -hmm. them until they really add up mm -hmm. championship rounds in the fourth and fifth mm -hmm. round. So right away, brilliant. Because he wasn't spamming it the whole time. He didn't give a tell on it. He waited until they work. Still shanking that gas tank. Yeah, exactly. Bang, 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 right bang. when, and then yeah. it's like death by a yeah, thousand yeah, yeah, little yeah, yeah. fucking jabs and hooks yeah. to the body, right? And then, so that's the first way that it was masterful. And the second way that it was masterful was the fact that he adjusted tactically to find it. So it's mm. not just the fact that he's investing in those body shots late, which is mm. huge in its own right, but it's that as soon as he found it, they found that spot, that weakness in the high guard of Cormier, he just dug into it, made a masterful adjustment. It was one of the craziest turns I've ever seen where you could just gradually see the shift going and anything, anytime there's a fight that gets finished or near finished by body shots. Mm -hmm. It's such a technical move because mm -hmm. if you're going to get in close and hit the body like that, especially against someone like DC where he's a master of being mm -hmm. in tight, mm -hmm. you have to be way closer to throw a body shot than mm -hmm. you do to throw a straight punch or a kick. So to dip your head, da your head down, you're up here in your guard, right? He drops his shoulder loads up his, his um, other shoulder, and then he comes up in a punch that you call the liver shock. You're aiming right underneath the elbow, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right uh, there, and you can do it particularly when somebody's punching and trying to throw mm -hmm, the cross. Mm -hmm. You can slip it or you come right around and, and hit. as well, right? And it is just the most brutal mm -hmm. strike. Uh, Greg and I and his wife were talking about this yesterday. Again, for those of you that don't know, anybody, any day, will take 100 headshots to one liver shot in terms of pain. Mm -hmm. You don't feel it when you get punched in the face most of the time. Unless it busts your nose or it busts your jaw, the pain is not really a factor. It's just kind of like snaps you out of it, but you have to re respond to something so quickly mm -hmm. afterward that you can't really indulge in mm -hmm. the pain, right? You just got to go. You just got to react mm -hmm. right away because you just got hit. But the face ones you don't feel unless it's like nose, yep. eyes, or mouth. Um, but if you get hit in the chin or something like that, you just generally nose, don't feel it. Nose, eyes, or mouth, also known as the face. Yes. <laughs> Straight on. You'll feel that because yeah, yeah. oh, it no, busts your nose or your eyes. For the shaft. But other stuff... <laughs> But other stuff, um, like the liver shot, that just shuts you down. It's mm -hmm. the most excruciating pain. Go watch Jose Aldo and Jeremy Stevens. If you watch that fight, Jeremy Stevens is one of the toughest guys to ever fight mm -hmm. in MMA. I mean, he's just a dog. Jose Aldo hit him with a perfect liver shot, and you see the crumple. pain yep. and the horror the on his face. The crumble. One of the toughest dudes in excruciating pain. He just goes into the fetal position, and it just locks you up. It contracts everything, and it's mm -hmm. so fucking painful. Mm -hmm. And uh, to throw a punch like that, a technical punch like mm. that, late in the round, change the tide of one of the biggest title fights of all time in the heavyweight I division. Feel like he, I feel like that was like a plan of his going into the fight. I, I, I feel almost as if I'd heard him say the way to beat Daniel Cormier is with body shots. Well, Dominic Cruz definitely said that. Okay. But which that was, was during the fight. But, I mean, it is right? a narrative because he does have that high yeah. guard. But the thing is, nobody's ever beat him with body shots. Mm. I mean, he's been hit. He got knocked out once well, maybe by John Jones. Maybe someone has. Well, now. Yeah. Now, but that was never a glaring yeah, weakness yeah, yeah. for Cormier yeah. or anything like yeah. that. But Stipe just found that punch. Maybe just then, everyone just assumed that they couldn't hit his, his liver because the he's got that dad bod. Yeah, man, he's got that Roy Represent. Nelson belly. Yeah, you throw the liver. sour beers are like the liver shots of uh, liver shots of beer. I mean, for sure, it's you know? punching the liver yeah. in a way. Well, because we were talking about you know how do you get 
removed from your consciousness or control, right? What are the, the major areas? Obviously, you can get hit in the nuts. <laughs> Not great, but the That'll shaft's terrible. It. Yeah. But that liver shot. Invert the shaft. You know, you have um, these kind of like nerve bundles and like different, and I, I don't believe in chakras, but they kind of align with where you're like, like traditional. Well, you have vitals. Exactly, you have vital exactly. areas that I mean, you, you get hit in will fuck you up. Not the other yeah. way around, you know? Um, so you have this nerve bundle that at the kind of, I think it's the base of your spine or just below your, behind your kidneys. Um, and that, you know, controls digestion and things like that. So you're not allowed to rabbit punch in boxing. Rabbit punch? Yeah, to the kidneys. Or oh, right, no, no, no. But I'm saying like, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, mm. that bundle of nerves is also things like liver, right? So if you get that, that liver shot in, completely overwhelms everything. Now you've got signals shooting up and down your spine. Your body locks down, right? Same as... Obviously, getting knocked out by getting punched or kicked in the head, and that kind of jars that whole bunch of like nerves up there. But there's also the solar plexus, yeah. right? And that's what we were talking about because you have that bundle of nerves. It's like the cardiopulmonary bundle that's like heart and lungs and things like that. So be able to hit these like nerve centers and shut people off. Absolute art. Yeah, right? the, the that's the solar plexus is right up there with the liver shot. The mm. liver. The, undervalued the, yeah yeah for yeah. sure i know the straight right to the sternum that's a i like to throw that all the time when i'm sparring i'll throw the jab and then i'll dip down a lot of people go to the stomach but i'm aiming right right there where the front of the mic is right if you hit here in the abdominal muscles it'll mm. still hurt but you got that muscle protecting but right there just below your chest right in the middle that's the solar plexus mm. and if you get hit in the solar plexus what it does is it just it makes it so that way you can't take a breath mm -hmm. so it's you get this crippling feeling of almost drowning because yeah. you're like and you're sucking in like oxygen. Being winded, right? You're trying, yeah, yeah but nothing's yeah, nothing's yeah. working. So you get that paranoia for a few seconds that you're dying before you can actually like take a breath. So unlike the liver shot, which can knock the wind out of you too, but it just locks yeah. up everything to where you can't move. You're like a hermit crab, just like stuck in a shell. I remember <laughs> playing on an unattached to the ground swing and being a total little idiot kid and swinging back way too far, and then having the whole swing just go. Ee! And full and that whole crossbar can be right across the ribs. Oh. Just that feeling of like, <gasps> yeah, totally. Yep, you got to invest in those body shots. <laughs> the thing about them though is they are a technical punch, mm. so it takes a long time to be able to throw them confidently in a fight, especially with a close range guy like Cormier. Mm. That's why that thing was. And it's nice as well that solar, that solar plexus punch you were talking about is if someone, because you come off the jab, if someone's then ducking down and their chin is lower. Than usual, you can hit that chin as well, right? If yeah. You kind of tuck it in we there. were watching the fights, and one of the coaches said, "Punch him in the throat!" Right. Punch, <laughs> him, in the, punch him in the throat. Now he's not literally saying to punch him in the throat, but when you're in your stance, when punches come down, it's a really common reaction to duck your chin. Yeah. One because it will prevent you from getting punched in the chin, which knocks you out, and another one is it will allow you to take the shot mm -hmm. on the forehead, mm -hmm. which doesn't do as much damage. What's up? We're gone. It breaks on hand. Continue. Okay. Cool. Uh, so you duck your chin and you can catch it on the forehead, which will hurt the hand yep. and it tends to not rattle you as much. So mm -hmm. the coaches will tell you to punch them in the chest, punch them in the throat. Cause yep. when they dip down, you'll hit the chin. Romero caught a couple of times like that as well. Yeah. Cause he was, this is when he wasn't sticking his tongue out, uh, you know? Yeah. But what was I that? don't know. I don't know. The whole fight. He's like, no, ah, did anyone ah, mention it ah. at all? Is he on like ecstasy or ah. something? Dude, he's just like, just tasting the air. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I what mean, was going on, dude? I was waiting for him to get kneed in the chin while his tongue is out, and then it just severs <laughs> it, and it's flopping on the mats. <laughs> is it, I mean, there's psychological warfare, right, that goes on. But he never did that before. What is Not that tongue, I can remember. Though? But it's like, like, is this it is like, going to scare you. <laughs> like, is, but, every, but every time he did it, we stopped. We're like, what's he doing? And right? then so Costa started doing it. 
So they're back. like so but, they're like these weird guys in a cage fight <laughs> punching each other and then sticking and their the tongues, tongues out at each other. <laughs> it was like Romero's tongue the entire time was still tongue colored and like Costa's was bloody. So it was like in that back and forth, R- Romero still feels like he's winning. Yeah, it's like, oh, your tongue's getting bloodier and bloodier and bloodier. Keep you showing me your won? tongue then. Who huh? do you think won? It was a close fight. I thought Romero won it. A lot of people thought Romero won it. I thought Romero won it. I watched that fight only once. When I watched it, I thought mm. Costa won, but I, I didn't watch it again. Mm. That's what replays are for, right? I mean, that first round is tricky because they both knocked each other down, yep. and it was a bit wild, and it was back and forth and chaotic. Um, but Romero's, he's got a couple tough decision losses, that mm-hmm. second fight with Whitaker. He wouldn't have uh, been the champ because he didn't make weight, but a lot of people thought he won that fight. A lot of people thought he won this fight. But then again, he had a couple shady ones too, like a Tim Kennedy fight where he was kind of cheating and stuff. So maybe Carmen's just catching up. He just got $23 million lawsuit from that popping hot for steroids. So he's all right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not like he doesn't deserve it. You know, 42 years old. Like that's it. That's a hard dude. Yeah. You know, 42 years old. He looks like a Greek god. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Shorter. Yeah. I mean, that was the best body, body fight of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Costa Fighting and bodies. And then uh, Diaz and Pettis. What you Diaz think about Pettis, that fight? Great fight. I really enjoyed that. Well, I enjoyed it because I like Diaz Brothers. It was Getting competitive though, dude. It well, was competitive. Yeah, but it felt like this is kind of why I felt like Romero should have won, right? Is that. It's not just a fight between bodies, it's a fight of wills as well, right? And you have, if you have one consistent, unerring will every round, like for three rounds, you're the same fighter coming forward, like do 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 If your opponent is like, um, how can I describe this? Has a game plan in the first round, second round then adapts his game plan, third round starts to like mock the f- other fighter, right? The consistent fighter. Mm. Is that an adaption on the other fighter's behalf? Or is it, does the one who's consistent win that mental game? It can you know be a I mean? bit of both. Right. It can kind of, I think, fluctuate. That's what I'm thinking about the tongue thing. Right? Yeah. Because he did that most of the fight. Yeah. Right? But then Costa was almost like three different fighters in each round. Yeah. Um, and the last round was like playing it off, blah, blah. I don't know if that was because he felt like he was down and trying to win crowd or... Well, who knows? Like, why do you start doing that? Why do you yeah. try to start playing someone else's game? This is the thing, though. Do you there think is, you're winning with it? or Even with the tongue thing, like, there is, there's obviously something there. He's never done it before. I've never yeah. seen him do that in a fight. So is he trying to, like, gross him out? Is he trying to, like, be Peacock for the is he a psychological thing? Is it like, oh, hit me. <laughs> he looked like a Pokemon, dude. You remember, a, like you remember an old fight? It was Frank Shamrock and Boss Rutten. Remember that fight? They're Was in Frank like Shamrock wearing his green electro undies. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. So they're in like what you call in jiu-jitsu a 50-50 position, right? Mm-hmm. So they're both sitting on their butts and they're <laughs> kind of leg scissoring, right? Like le- like their legs are cro- groin to groin, right? They're scissoring. And then uh, <laughs> Boss Rutten reaches out, and this is back in the pancreas days when yep. they would do palm strikes. Yep. So they would, didn't wear Couldn't gloves, and they're not allowed to punch hands, each other. Yep. So they're open-hand palm striking each other. And Frank Shamrock's on his butt, holding his leg, and then Boss has got his leg. And Boss <laughs> starts reaching over and just slapping the shit out yep. of him, slapping him in the face. And then Frank Shamrock starts going, ah, <laughs> bah, bah, every time he's like, ah, ah. And you're just like, and he's well, making these weird-ass yeah, faces while he's getting slapped in the face. And you're like, what? What is the impulse for you to do that right now, dude? You're getting hit hard Who by the fight? hardest palm striker of all time, probably, in Boss Rutten. Who won that fight? Uh, 
Boss won that one, I think. Okay. Because they fought a couple times. I think Frank won the first one, and then Boss won the second one. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it's. Are you trying to beat someone at their own game? Are you trying to show off that it doesn't hurt? Are you trying to throw them off because it threw you off? Are you like, oh shit, I'm affected by this? Did you watch the Santos Jones fight from uh, about a month ago or something like Tiago Santos and Jones? I can't remember. That was one of those fights where uh, John wanted to beat right. Santos in his own game. Right, right, he literally he didn't try to take down oh, the whole fight. Yeah, yeah. He just stood up with him, yeah. stood up with him, traded, traded. He ended up winning the fight by split decision in a pretty close fight. Yeah. Meanwhile, Santos blew both of his ligaments and both of his knees. He could barely walk. He kept trying to throw kicks with the leg that was fucked up. And then it was like as he would put it on the ground, he gets a little of the leg. stanky leg. Yeah. <laughs> and he kept doing it over and over and over again. And it looked ridiculous. It looked like a drunken master trying. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't have any stability in his legs. Still kicking with the same leg. And Jones just decided to fight him like that, and it, it damn well, near cost mean, him the fight. That's, you know, that kind of mimics the, the Diaz-Pettis fight, right? He, his ankle was gone yeah. really early on, wasn't well, it? Was it a, yeah. he checked a, he checked, oh, a right, kick. he checked a Diaz leg kick. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad sure. you mentioned that, because uh, this is one of the narratives that's really interesting about this Diaz-Pettis fight, is that uh, one of the knocks consistently with Diaz, his whole career, is that he doesn't respond well to two things, kickers and wrestlers. And wrestlers will always take him down. Now, he's got good jiu-jitsu, but he would get taken down on his back. And if you can't tap the guy, you're going to lose if you're on your back. And uh, also, also guys like Benson Henderson kick the shit out of his leg. Rafael Dos Anjos kick yep. the shit out yep. of his leg. He's got that boxing-heavy mm-hmm, style mm-hmm, where he's mm-hmm. put so a lot dependent. of weight on the front leg. And so people took advantage of it and kicked it. And Pettis is one of the best kickers in MMA, mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Yep. And so one of the big narratives in this fight is what's Nate going to do with the kicks. And... That fight was close. I mean, that was like 50-50. And then in the second round, Pettis throws a kick. Nate checks it, destroys his foot. Mm-hmm, his ankle's mm-hmm, broken. Mm-hmm. He's got, I don't know if it's broken or not, but, I mean, it was swollen yep, up. Yep. He clearly Fast. had trouble walking it on it. It was rolling as yeah. he was trying to stand. So it's a really interesting thing that Nate Diaz had three years off. Mm-hmm. He hasn't fought since he fought Conor McGregor the mm-hmm. second time. And then in this fight... The turning point, in my opinion, was checking that leg yep, kick because yep. that took Pettis' legs yep. away. And then he has to box with Diaz, which puts Who's it in his world. Who's always coming forward. Yes. Right? So Diaz is always coming forward. So you're, you have no time to, like, give your ankle a rest, baby, or, like, stand and, like, trade a little bit. If you're constantly going backwards, you're constantly readjusting your position, constantly, like, giving your ankle And he can't stay on the outside because he can't kick. Yeah. So he's forced to deal, deal with him in the boxing mm-hmm. range, which mm-hmm. is Diaz's, Diaz's world. world. Yeah. yeah, that's his world. <laughs> So, I mean, it was just another brilliant tactic. Nate looked great. He looked mm, like he hadn't mm, missed mm. a beat. He looked tough. His pressure was there. His fitness was there. And what now there's this potential fight with uh, Jorge Masvidal, which would be – that would be one of the best fights in a long time because both of those dudes are on fire right now. Like, they're, they're both in the kind of cultural zeitgeist. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like yeah. Jorge Masvidal, after knocking out yep. Ben Askren, yep. became a meme. Yep. I mean, everyone saw that clip. So he's on this level now where mm-hmm. he's starting to penetrate into the zeitgeist of the regular mm-hmm. culture. He's transcending mm-hmm. this sort of high-level MMA, and he's getting into, like, Conor McGregor, John Jones, George St. Pierre, Ronda Rousey territory. He's not mm-hmm. there yet, mm-hmm. but he's kind of starting to sniff mm-hmm. that permeation into the pop culture. And Nate Diaz is already there because yep. he fought Conor he twice, insane fights, super popular. So that fight with Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz, man, that could be a big one. And both guys are just gangster as fuck. Well, but, I mean, they said it in the ring, right? But yeah, Nate Diaz said no, he, he ain't no West, West Coast, Coast gangster, man. <laughs> Balls. Yeah, so the MMA landscape right now in the UFC is looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the other? What was the other big fight there? We covered all the main ones, right? Jones, Cormier. 
who else do we have? Um, Romero ooh, and Pettis. In the, yeah, I'm feeling that breakfast, first. Right? Holy uh, moly. Yeah, I'm feeling that shit already. I, gee, I did not expect that. This is going to be a, a rough one. Actually, why don't we take a little break here? Because uh, we're going to go to the bathroom and just reset the cameras, and then we'll Perfect. join you guys back. Cool. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. Okay, we're back from the Stronghold podcast. We took a little bathroom break, finished the beer, feeling a little better. Oh, I'm still going. This one's lovely. This is a sipper. Yeah, it's, a, it's not Oh, a I'm sip. not crushing this one. It's not a sipper for me. I'm mm-hmm. really finished with it. So uh, we're back. One of the things that I wanted to sort of get your take on, you, you trained for a little while. You, yep. did, you did a little martial arts A little arts bit in the operative word. Yeah, a little bit did. everywhere. What, what do you think about the, the martial arts culture? Like specifically the, just the training modality, the people that train, with the people you've seen for especially yeah well just your training experience um obviously i went to some of the large places uh, and then some of the smaller places so i got to see um a little bit of like different cultures and uh different gyms i obviously i'm going to be biased a little bit towards this gym because Mm. it's your gym but i'm also biased towards it because it's also the type of gym that i like Mm. right so the whole kind of um turn up log your classes, after this many classes, promotion, do-do-do, feels too much like school for me. I mean, I I guess it is a school kind of thing. Um, Mm. But that kind of rotating skill set, coming through, coming to the gym, seeing new people, like it's, it kind of, I don't feel like I'm going to get in trouble for going because I haven't done my homework, if that makes sense. You know, like there were times that I would get to the gym doors with my bag on my shoulder and I would grip that gym door, feel the cold metal in my hand, and be like, nope. <laughs> and like, let go and turn around and walk away and go what, home. What was that? What was the, the thing that made you oh, sort of... Was it just, a little anxiety about the training? Was it, uh, was it just like... What, what, what was it that turned you around? I think, it, I think it's just everything rolling in together plus like a, like a slightly negative outlook. So mm. you think that either something's going to go... And also, I mean, <laughs> I tend to push myself way too hard, way too short, right? Mm. And look like an idiot. Yeah. Because I'm trying really hard. It's like the the want to do is massively undermined by the physical capacity to actually do. Yeah. Right? So I remember we were doing like sprints up and down here. I sprint. I I done I done you sprint. I done sprint. You sprinted, bro. man. Like for a good twenty feet. And then the angle changed, immediately just pile drive my face <laughs> into the floor, right? I remember that when you Dude, ate shit at the I whole track. Yeah, yeah, totally. I did that on my first warm-up run at Evolve, right? And we just were going around the corner. And a little I too slipped, excited, too fast. Just ate shit. Yeah, slipped out. And I was like, huh, okay. This could be, uh, <laughs> this could be a repeating thing. Well, um, But, I, I mean, you know, I, I, one thing I loved was being able to, train with like peoples of like massively different skill sets in the same class right that's very cool yeah Um, and different backgrounds that's one of the really that's one of the things that makes singapore particularly interesting with the martial arts community is it's very diverse Mm -hmm. singapore if you're listening from if you're the one person listening from west virginia or something like that (laughs) if you're the one person listening from there y'all singapore is very diverse Mm -hmm. i mean there's four official languages Mm -hmm. here like the indian language malays english chinese You see, everybody's multicultural. Mm-hmm. There's tons of Muslims here. There's tons of Christians here. Mm-hmm. There's tons of like Buddhists here, yep. and you see all of that when you go on the mat. I mean, and, yeah, it, totally. It, the diversity is insane. Like Ramadan effects training for sure. Yeah, like, no, you, people come in people, here yeah. not drinking, yeah. not having had water Craziness. all day, and then they'll come and roll and they'll do jujitsu like, or Muay Thai for an hour. That's some 
Wow. Those people are, are strict about it, man. Totally, man. I take my It's one of the best too. things about Singapore is you yeah. get exposed to that yeah. kind of stuff. Because I'm from West Virginia. I'm mm-hmm. from a small town. Mm-hmm. There are like a couple thousand people, mm-hmm. all of them white. Right. <laughs> it was everybody was white. Right. So now here I'm the minority. Like I live yep. I live in Sembawang, dude. I'm the only white dude in that entire H D B area. Looking it's a Chinese Indian heartland type area yep. in Singapore. This is where my wife's parents lived and I'm staying there. And uh I like the fact that I traveled out and I get to see places like this and one of the other things that's interesting about Singapore is there's these background different backgrounds, mm-hmm. different religions. But no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, yeah. it's not, no one, or rather, no one talks to you about it. Comedians if you do. ask, if you ask people about, they'll tell you, yeah. but no one's trying to explain themselves yeah. to you. No one's like trying to preach to you. No mm-hmm. one's trying to evangelize whatever their beliefs are to you. They have their own, just and it's very multidiverse, but nobody's preaching that shit mm-hmm. at you. It's just, well, it's for them. And I love that about Singapore. It's like it's a very, religion and everything. It's for the individual. It's mm. not, they don't feel the need to But it's be a mutual respect thing, right? So mm. it's, um, it, it's kind of, Singapore is this beautiful little gem, right, in the world. It's this very heavily controlled, but at the same time the control works, right? So you have... Um, nobody seems say, to care too much about the control. Well, it's not like other countries it, where... It, it's kind of because it works, right? So in other countries, so in Singapore, for example, in like... HDB blocks, there are different um, quotas for different like religions and races and families and stuff like that. And the whole point is to force integration, right? So that the kids are going to school together, yeah. right? So it doesn't matter if you're Chinese, Malay, Singaporean, like Indian, blah, blah, all your kids are going to grow up together. And it, 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 it strays away from like, I mean, I hate, you know, I don't want to use the term gettification, but that's exactly kind of what it would be. Is you know people creating small enclaves. Yeah, there's not really ghettos that, here or projects in Singapore. <laughs> I mean, it's all like this is one of the insane things about it. If you say to anyone else in the world, oh, most of the housing here is um, government housing, yeah. they'll like kind of like roll their eyes, like, oh is, no, that's terrible. It's a pejorative. But then it's, you show the government housing, they're like, holy moly, this is like yeah, the HDBs are awesome. A star living anywhere else yeah. in the world. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I lived in condos when I first came to Singapore. And I sort of lived in the ter- stereotypical, mm-hmm. this is where white people live mm-hmm. in Singapore, like right. at the condos, yep, yep. by the international schools. It was in Holland Village? I yeah. did that. It was a dairy farm. Right, right, right. And then, right. Uh, so, but in a nice yep. sort of expat area of Singapore. And then I lived in HDB flats in Sembawang mm-hmm. in Buka Panjang. Those HDBs are nice. Totally. The government housing is excellent. Yep. Big, plenty of space. Way more space than in like London, New York, Japan. And mm-hmm. these, you get these three-bedroom, two-bedroom HDB flats. They're big for a city. Like They, they can be. They can be. Depends uh, where. It depends where. The sure. older ones particularly yeah, are large. Well, I mean, that, yeah, they're, people they're, want they're the really older big, ones. But they're not that expensive. And compared to the government housing like in the U.S., if you're on like the HUD program or something like that, dude, those things are shit. You only like, get to own it for, what, 99 years? Well, Longer Singapore, than I'll be around. But, in Singapore. Yeah, right. but that's what I'm saying. So, like, this is a trade-off a little bit. It does well, kind of roll back into the system. thing that's yeah. not necessarily... Well, but that's the thing here. It's like 80% of people own their own place because mm. it's subsidized by the government mm. depending on how much money you earn dictates how much subsidy they'll give you to use your, you know, to pay for your housing. And then there's things like the CPF, which you pay 37, 37% company 20 and your, and I think you pay 17 for the, for the CPF, something like that. Uh-huh. Wrong. You got to know this man. We're getting a big, <laughs> big shrug. Big I think shrug it's there. 37% right. that you get taken out of your paycheck. Company pays 20, mm-hmm. you pay mm-hmm. 17 or it's the inverse. <clears throat> I can't exactly remember. And that's 37% of your income that you lose, but... I can't remember if it's on a sliding scale. But when you're older, when you're old, you can have access to that money. Mm. If you want to buy a place, you have access to that. They will use that money to buy a place for you to live. If the age doesn't get 
getting yeah, pushed up from yeah. like 55 to 60 As long as you don't die before to <laughs> some to tragic. You have to be 120 before you can pull out your CPF. But you can use it for like housing True. and for family. I think you can also use it Which for Which then school. all goes back to the government anyway. So it's like, this is what I'm saying. Like the, there's control that works, yeah. right? It's, you know, people, I mean, I, I say people. It's the benevolent I mean, dictatorship. It's the fantasy... Like they kind of had Lee Kuan Yew here and there was this authoritarian guy, Mm. but it was authoritarian in the sense that it was for the best general interest. It wasn't for himself individually. Mm. And this is one of the only places that's got source like it's got universal appeal. It's kind of built by a one party government, but everybody's like cool with it and Mm. nobody's mad. And there's Mm. not this great division like you see in the U.S. And yeah, I mean, well, okay, so you don't see a lot of it because back in the day, people would just get in prison. Oh, no no doubt there's some of it. So. um, it's usually Americans that I talk to about the issue of like freedom, right? Mm. So they'll say, oh, you know, it's this freedom, uh, freedom, freedom, freedom ain't free, bro. <laughs> so it's usually saying, oh, I got the freedom, guns, God, government, all this kind of stuff, like to, you know, do all these things. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have the freedom to walk down the road and not worry about getting shot. Yeah. You don't have the freedom to like send your kid to school and not have them do like gun drills, yeah. you know, if you don't have the freedom to, from to the like US, not see a bunch of your friends die on opiates. Yeah. It's cr- like, yeah, which is a huge thing where your wife is from. Yeah. Well, I mean, all over the States now. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. If you're listening to this from the US, you can put your six year old child on a public bus and you don't have to go to school yeah. by themselves. And six you, fancy ass little bugger. You should have been doing it at four. You don't have a damn thing to worry about with that kid. That kid is going to yeah. arrive safely. They're going to be fine. People do it. It's kind of weird mm. to me as an American mm. to think that you would send your kid on public transport, but it is so safe here. Mm. These wor- these problems. I feel that this, you think about in the U.S. are just not, mm. they don't exist here. Well, I mean, this could be a total misremembrance or like a made-up number. But I believe there, and I'm sure we're corrected for this, but I'm, I believe every unlawful gunshot in Singapore has to be registered, and there have been 12. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, there's just none of those. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it's just, n- it's just not that kind of thing here. You can be, uh, you know... Girl in a short dress walking down fucking well maybe not Orchard Road it's a little bit um, yeah, like dead there now sometimes. but like but you could just go there at four o'clock in the morning you can go most places in Singapore at four o'clock in the morning as like a girl by yourself and be fine yeah like that's only that's such a luxury to have and it's only if you go to other places and you realize this you know I lived uh, I remember when I lived in New York that's where I went to college and I remember one time I got in a fight with an ex of mine. And, you know, it's like fucking 2 o'clock in the morning or something. I'm at her place in Harlem or somewhere near Harlem. This is Washington Heights. And uh, I just remember Washington that Heights. All right. it's pretty rough. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I the main Washington line, Heights. Washington yep. Heights, Harlem. It's like 140-something street or whatever. Kind of shady area. Yep. And then I remember getting in a fight at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I remember I left. Right. And then I'm looking around and I felt unsafe. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And like two o'clock in the morning in Washington Heights. And I was like, dude, if you're a random person walking down just these streets, it feels shady Mm -hmm. here. I would never have a problem. I would just send anyone home immediately. If there was ever an issue at three o'clock in the morning, none of that. You have zero threat. And And we're we're back back from technical difficulties. See, this This is the beauty about doing the first time. Right. Yeah. Got to iron out the bugs. Iron out the creases. Iron out the bugs. Same um, thing. Do the bugs put the same, creases same. in the sheets? Is that what? Anyway. Idioms. Idioms. Yeah, I feel like an idiom. 
Well, this uh, is the first time we've done a video version of the podcast. We did true. audio first, true. so there's definitely going to be some kinks to work out, and we'll make this look a little bit better each time we do it. That would be the goal. You know what? I open the last one. You can open this one. Oh. So um, just because we had one a... One more to go, baby. Yeah. Well, we have to... Trash Panda. Work later, so we've got to keep it a little bit lighter. So both the beers we've had today are less than 6%. This label um, is dope. It's great. Trash Panda. Yeah. We're gone. Can you see that on the camera yeah. there? What's that, up, Canadian? That label looks sweet, dude. Trash Panda. All right. Never had it before. Go for it. Be, be gentle. Oh, shit. I shot the laptop, but it sounds good. Maybe I should pour this. Ooh. Ooh. Very hoppy. Very hoppy right away. This is an so I've had this one a couple of times. This is um, an IPA, right? It is. Uh, but it's one of them hazy boys. One of them hazy boys. To be honest, I'm not a huge like, fan pie. of this whole fad of making beer that looks like orange juice. Um, so let's see how this one looks. It is like... It smells really good. Totally opaque. Well, it smells I mean, like it's orange like, a bit. A bit like an orange. It's actually pretty malty for like a for like a hazy. It's not as like upfront hoppy as I thought it was. Oh yeah, be. me too. After the taste, it's not quite as hoppy as you think it would be, based on the smell. Could be a touch cold. I just picked these up. I was like, hmm, what can I get before the podcast? But this is very drinkable. Oh, you know what? This is like I can. There's almost like citra at the end. It's the. Uh, it's almost like um. Like rock melon? Am I crazy? A bit on the aftertaste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, it has a little bit of like an orange peel aftertaste too. I could talk like about when you get a little too much skin on the edge of the orange. Okay, and it gets a look, 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 on the, the bitter side of the Yeah, orange? the bitter okay. side, yeah. yeah mm, okay, I can. Mm. Yeah. Oh, cheers. Yeah, man, talking oh, fights and drinking beer. I feel like. I know, <laughs> right? Wrong. I feel like this is what I was born to do, man. Talk, drinking beer and talking fights. I'm, in my, I'm in my happy place right now. Hey, man. Welcome back. Welcome back. Like, Cheers, welcome man. back. And bon voyage into this journey of yours that you're taking. Because, like, man. holy moly, this is super cool. Yeah. Right? To see, to be sitting across, like, I'm nerding out a little bit as, like, just a friend. Because I'm sitting next to my buddy in the gym that he owns behind this, like, dope wall, doing a podcast, drinking some nice beers, sunny day, no airplanes, there's just no Hello Kitty car going off outside. Not at all. It's like, Killing it. Well, we're doing it, we're doing the podcast on the mats at my gym. Mm-hmm. So we got an interesting little dynamic going here. If you have any ideas for the name of the podcast as well, we we are accepting offers. I'm a little partial to uh, on the mats with Lucas Leisure. I don't know. It's um, not, I was talking it's to too sexy for him. I was talk, talking to Greg about this earlier. I'm just not really down with naming shit after myself. Fair. fair like yeah. this, is, it just feels conceited. I feel like a douche, man. Like yeah. I was even thinking about it, right? Because all these martial artists, especially in jujitsu, it's all like Henzo Gracie BJJ. Yeah, it's yeah. all they brand themselves, which is definitely a strategy, right? Mm-hmm. To try to get your name out there. Mm-hmm. You name your academy after yourself. Whatever it is, people do it in business mm-hmm. all the time, right? But I just feel like I'd rather stand for like a concept. So Podcast. concept or an image or something rather than naming after myself it just mm-hmm. feels a little conceited charmaine told me to do it but i was like ah it's just yeah, you ever right? do you ever say your own name it feels weird right name. i hate my name the, well when you say your own name out loud it feels like i can't say my own name right i have <laughs> it doesn't like roll off the tongue the well. same letter in my first name g-r-e-g-g right that's yeah. lazy. You're uh, basically one consonant gr- name. Egg. Uh, yeah. Greg Spears. Uh. It does rhyme with like Greg Spears, Keg Spears. So in my line of work, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, so I, mean, I can you have can, like you can rhyme with it. Greg Spears or Greg's Kegs or you know. Luke Leisure. Work with Luke yeah. Leisure. It just it's and a lot of L. It, you pronounce it leisure and not leisure. Yeah. As I, well. I I you know <laughs> funny story about that. I actually found out from my mom when I was like 20 that when she grew up, her parents pronounced it leisure. 
And then I'm like, why have you been telling my, me my entire life that I'm pronouncing my fucking name wrong? <laughs> she didn't tell me until I was like in my 20s. And I'm like, great. Well, I mean, I had a buddy. Now uh, I'm stuck with it. Leisure? I mean, yeah. I mean, you can change your name if you want. No, I'm good. There might be like a Batman bin Superman like Batman up for grabs soon. Superman. Yeah, we'll see. He got in trouble again. Real guy, by the way. For if you're, uh, what happened? He got slashed. Oh no! Batman bin Superman got slashed. Oh, he wasn't shit. doing enough of that close quarters training, man. Dude, I thought he you got... can't have a name like Batman bin Superman and not be a fucking badass. How about open, if he's not Keanu Reeves? Ask what are we doing? Open shout out to Batman bin Superman. Yeah. If you want to come, come train. on the podcast. If uh, Batman, go. if you're listening. Yeah. I'm Batman <laughs> from Superman. <laughs> that's that's the that's the niche. Listen, that's dude, if you want to be on a podcast, I'm down. Batman, been Superman, find me. You heard him here first. Find me. You heard him here first. <laughs> totally. Um, that's the and be able to have like these kind of longer form podcasts that are like you know 45 minutes, an hour and a half, depending on the guest, depending on what it is. You know, you get time to explore all sorts of things and all sorts of genres, and especially because we're in Singapore, I'm gonna bring it back around to nerd stuff. Bring it back to nerd culture, baby. Because hey, I want this podcast to be two things. I have two passions in this life: martial arts and fucking video games, dude. So beer and video games, right here. And I, soon, I'm trying to, you know, get that that third leg. I'm trying to get the, uh, you know, the martial arts, the martial arts, the beer, the thing, the thing. If I can game well, a pie martial chart, arts, right? You just need to mm, shift pie. the pie chart mm. to more one side. Well, we'll see. Oh, kid coming. Well, I think uh, the guy that helped me set this podcast up, one of my students, Ryan. Shout out to you, Ryan, in Pennsylvania. Um, he says, I mean, he's, uh, he's doing his PhD at Penn State right now for some fucking nerdy, gamey sh- type shit. He was literally working with, like, game psychology, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Loves gaming. He, he had a job where the he was, devils of he the was a game industry. coach. Like, uh, okay. he, he coached people in League of Legends. Damn. Like, okay. he was, people were paying him to yeah, go, yeah, yeah, go yeah. and do that kind of stuff. So he uh, told me that he's got contacts in the Singapore gaming scene. Love it. And, and I definitely intend on getting them on the podcast. Well, this is, Singapore is such a crazy cool vortex, right? Because you might not have people that come here for more than five years, right? But you'll get so many people that cycle through here for like three to four. Yeah. So all the industries that are based here, so you have like the gaming industry, you have like voiceover work, you have um, all of the like very kind of techy things I think oh God, what was it? it was creative based here like back in the day you know it's just this little like Asian hub this little Asian mecca for like these weird interesting people to all kind of connect and it's very transient to your point totally like yeah. every three years yeah you get a new cycle of people a new cycle of yeah. foreigners so I've been here uh, I'm 34 I came here when I was four you know yeah. so like I've been around a little bit um, I had some years in Australia um, I went to Scotland for uni but like Singapore's always been my home, you know, um, and it's the it was a little bit disparate between the groups, right? There was little crossover in those very niche subjects, but Singapore's is such a, like a gaming people, like young Singaporeans love gaming, yeah. right? So all that crossover is starting to happen a little bit more. All of that crossover is now starting to take place on the mats yeah. as well. So well, we were just this, talking like, about this, yeah. right? About this culture here mm. that's very unique. And uh, I said it earlier, Eddie Bravo talks about nerd assassins in oh, jiu-jitsu. And let me tell you something. 100%. You think they're nerd assassins in California. Come to Singapore yeah. and then talk to me about nerds. Yeah. This yeah. is the king nerd yeah. culture, man. I'm the fucking going to do this. I'm going to be the king of the nerds. Yep. All right? Because like, well, these are my people. I love Singapore, man. Studying Everything is, is the is martial a game. art of Singapore. Everybody's studying. Like, yeah. 
I don't know what it is about the culture here, but those kind of people are made for jujitsu mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it does come to the point where you were talking about gamifying yeah. right earlier in your life. And that's what people tend to do here. It's not really mm-hmm. so much competition, mm-hmm. but it is a little bit more of a game. Like jujitsu is in a Western context, I think in America, yeah. it's more considered a sport. Yeah. It's like a competition. It's, it's like, like I'm gonna kick your winning. Ass, bro. I'm gonna kick your ass, Whereas here, you. it's much more of like, a I'm case study. study. You, yeah, I'm it's, gonna study harder. It's a case study here <laughs> of martial you, arts. Yeah, it's not about beating you. It's about solving a problem, yeah. which is, yeah. I think, uh, a way more logical, detached mm-hmm, way to view mm-hmm. martial arts. Mm-hmm. Which is what I like in people that are doing martial mm-hmm. arts. Right, is having to step back. Don't be emotionally connected to it because that's when injuries happen and egos come into play. And it just needs to be a game. Mm-hmm. I hit you more than you hit me. I yep. touch you up. I tap you. There's a parameter there's a rule set to this mm-hmm. game and uh, that's what i teach it to kids right everything's a game who's gonna win whoever gets a takedown that's yep. the goal yep. right the game is i take you down yep. i get a point yeah right okay we're gonna play guard now one person i bet on you top. can take those kids down super easy though like but you get all the points i'll destroy those kids yeah I, they don't stand a chance five of them could attack me at once and they're all going down <laughs> in one kick in one wheelhouse kick i think it would take 30 kids before they could take me out and they would all of have to mob age? me at once it's a good question. Because <laughs> like five once versus they, 11. Yeah. Once they 30 11-year-olds, st- you're getting stumped. It depends on if they can dogpile me or not. This I should just like stick out my arms and then spin 360 full power. But then, no, that, that has a time limit. <laughs> What's the strategy for story, fighting 39-year-olds? How many? <laughs> <laughs> What's the best well, way to well, I don't know. gamify this situation? 39-year-olds are nearly 40, so like maybe they're a little bit tired, so probably drag them into deep water. Yeah. I, know, I know what you're saying. But, but it point is if you're a nine-year-old and you're thinking about it you don't stand a chance <laughs> but you might stand more of a chance if you come and train a stronghold yeah so give yourself a leg bring up. 40 of your friends and let's do an experiment <laughs> i was not that's not what i meant no I but hell but it's interesting though because this is one one thing i always think is interesting i literally get paid for the last six years to beat up kids yep part of my salary teach them to be part of my salary safely no, I beat them up. I don't let them beat each other up much because kids the same age, they don't have control. There's so it's the, not them like beating. If you bring your kids you. to me, I will beat up your kids for you. And I will do it with a smile on my face and love in my heart. This sounds so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's interesting, right? Because I say the same yeah. thing about my wife. And uh, it's just a joke, right? I'm just talking shit. Yep. But it's one of these interesting things. My wife, for example, is an owner at this gym. She's been training with me full time for about four years. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit more. Mm-hmm. And... Um, She's getting to the point now, I mean, six, seven days a week for four years, nonstop. She's Mm -hmm. always training. Mm -hmm. So she's getting to the point where she's getting some skill. Mm -hmm. And like when I spar with her, if we're doing Muay Thai or even grappling, she's getting to the point now where I have to push her a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because before it's just play, right? Just play. And there was such a level difference that I'm just, everything was teaching her. But I was telling you earlier, now she's getting to the point where she's getting enough skills where I have to up the intent. You slowly Mm-hmm. up the intensity mm-hmm. otherwise you're not going to build mm-hmm. a skill that's necessary as people start to go up higher level so a lot of my training with her is gets more physical yeah. and when some people watch it they're like dude what are you doing you're beating up your <laughs> wife <laughs> and i'm like no it's 
It's very controlled. It's very it's specific. So personal. It's, yeah, it's because it's like the this most is where, personal relationship you can have. This right? is where the dynamics get weird, yeah. right? Because yeah. like, yeah, it's one of the fascinating things about my job. But we have bad days, and mm-hmm. we have bad days where we train, and we have bad days where we train, and we're sparring with each other. And you have to be able to kick and mm-hmm. punch each other. And my wife, God bless her, she's she's. I'll get her on the podcast one of these days. She is the type of person who's emotional like everyone else. And listen, if you have a bad day and you're in training and you're sick of getting hit and then you get kicked one time and then she'll all of a sudden she's throwing hard shots because she's (laughs) mad. And this is more husband beating than wife beating. I'm just like weathering. (laughs) Like, oh, God, what's going on? As I'm like touching her, she's swinging like (laughs) full power on me and stuff. And there's this weird dynamic that develops. And uh, one of the most fascinating things, and it's also true with the kids because you're you're building them up yep. from small and you're trying to slowly push them. Prepare them as well. But you have to push them. A li- you have to make them yep. uncomfortable because it's martial arts. Yep. You're learning how to punch and kick and grapple and choke and armbar. And mm-hmm. even the kids that come in for jujitsu, when you're learning how to ch- do a rear naked choke on somebody, yep. it's interesting to explore the dynamic of how in martial arts we're teaching you to not be violent yep. at the same time that we're teaching you how to apply violence. And there's this interesting, yeah. yeah, and it does in fact work because mm-hmm. I can tell you right up, I've been studying martial arts for 15 years. I've never been in a street fight in my entire life. Mm. Never once. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten to the point where I've been in an altercation and wanted to hurt somebody. Yeah. I know what it feels like. Yeah. I've been doing this for so long. That situation is so like uh, unappealing to me because I've been exposed to it so much. Mm-hmm. And martial arts has that effect. Once you learn the control, it changes how you view you fear, violence you fear less in terms of like how you're going to react it yeah. takes that big question mark away so yeah like that's, people that's the freak first part. out and like that's the self-confidence you know, that yeah. will come with it that's the first part but then after well, the, the self-confidence comes, like i could beat this dude's ass or whatever no no but, but the self-confidence that, yeah exactly but then that can that's step one right is it builds mm-hmm. that, that self-confidence which is why it's great for kids mm-hmm. but then step two of that this is the harder step which is when you have that ability when shit does get weird mm-hmm. and you're at a bar and some dude starts talking shit mm-hmm. You have to have self-confidence in that situation, but not have the ego to the point where you'll get sucked into that yeah. conflict. And when you know you can beat somebody up, this is a thing. Like when I was in Canada, a lot of the guys there, I trained at Adrenaline Training Center. It's a huge gym in Canada. I spent two years training there. Mark Hominick, Sam Stout mm. was there. Chris Hordesky was there. Chris wow. Clements, they fought in the UFC. It was big. big I, fought, I was yeah. there when Hominick fought Jose Aldo for wow. the title. And uh, those dudes like to fight. Mm. A lot of them were in their 20s, mid-20s, and they would go to bars and pick fights because mm. they would fuck people up. Yeah. And they liked that. They mm. sort of played into that dynamic, and they would go out and look for trouble sometimes. Yeah. Do and that in Singapore, you're going to jail. Yeah. Straight well, up. Well, this is a difference of yeah. the dynamic, but it also gets me to the point of when you train, it builds confidence yeah. to a point. But then at a point after that, you have to learn to use – Walk softly and carry yeah. a big stick. Yeah, 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 That's the goal of martial yeah, 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 arts, right? Yeah, yeah. You want to be the guy that never needs to use it, yeah. but if you if it goes down, you can handle it. But you will withdraw from those situations any other time unless violence is enforced upon you. It's like in any movie, like during fight scenes, and then there's one quiet, small guy. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, shit. Yeah, you want to be that guy. Yeah, yeah. That's the guy that the ladies want. That's the guy that's cool, right? The guy that's sitting in the... Fair. It's not the 20-year-old bro who's yeah, like, you want to fight? You want to fight? Come at me, bro. Come at Don't be that guy. Yeah, right. Okay, just don't be that guy. Be the quiet guy <laughs> looking menacing in the corner today. who's just cracking his knuckles when the violence goes You're not going to jump in, but you're just... Look menacing. Uh, just like, like nonplussed. Yeah, that's exactly. even scary. Yeah, that's and yes, that's way scary. You know, you just sit there and observe, de- t- totally detached from the violence going on around you, 
But this is one. So movie script. Yeah. So that's the next goal when you start the train is you have to learn when those situations come to you, which they mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Someone's gonna have a bad day and call mm-hmm. you an asshole. Mm-hmm. Someone's gonna run into you in a train. Someone's mm-hmm. gonna get in a car accident. You're gonna whatever mm-hmm. that thing where you have that one day every mm-hmm. couple years where you're all of a sudden in a situation that's escalating mm-hmm. and you haven't been in that for a while yeah. and you don't know how to react. Not reacting in a big way there is the but, goal. I mean, right? on the mats, you are fighting to not die, right? You don't want to. You don't want to get choked out. You don't want to get your limbs broken. You know, so you're reaching these adrenaline peaks in a in a in a rolling session. Well, I mean, it depends on the style of rolling. You could be having like a slow roll, or just like it depends on who you're rolling with. Too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Totally. If it's a competitive roll, you'll get it. it well, yeah, mm. but. So once you have these peaks established, that totally resets the graph of your adrenaline, yeah. right? So then those day-to-day things don't bother you yeah. as much because the, the adrenaline spike is so little or like any of that reaction that you get, is it just doesn't register versus if you had never done any of these things that pushed you, if you have this absolute flat baseline and then anything triggers you, you're going to go off the charge of blah, 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 you know, yeah. because it's, you just don't have that... You, you don't know where the top of the scale is. Yeah. You don't know you what no point of reference. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that's so important. I want to train my, I'm having a daughter, like Luke said, I want to train her to be an absolute feral killer. <laughs> you know, I do. But to not show it. No. Walk no, softly, no. carry a big stick. Yeah. That should be the goal for any, any mm. person, right? Is to have the tools to do what you need to. Was but that president? You don't president want to, say that? That was uh, Roosevelt. Theodore? That was Teddy Roosevelt. You got the first leg at the second seat? Yeah, man. Jiving. He was a guy that was interesting. Roosevelt, he was a lifelong martial artist. He actually went really? he actually went blind when he was in office because he would hire people to come and he would have a boxing ring set up in I the White he was House. A boxer, yeah. I didn't know he was just like a no, well, he, did, I guess he talks he talks about jujitsu too. He oh, did really? judo too. Wow. Yeah. He did grappling too. Was he charged the light brigade? Or was that did he or Rough Riders yeah, Rough up Riders, the hill? Rough Riders was Roosevelt. What a badass man. Yeah. He, I think he, he literally went blind in office because while he was a sitting president, he organized a sparring session with like pro fighters, and he got hit so hard that he fucking got, went blind in one eye. This is the sitting president of the United States during to, the colonial era. You're not of supposed the to talk US. about presidential fight club, Luke. I know that he's him and Lincoln apparently was a, a grappler too. Really? I don't, I don't know if that's true, but Roosevelt for sure. This is, I heard Lincoln that looked like he had really long limbs. Maybe he could set tall. up triangles like super easy. Yeah, chopping wood all Just day. Over. He chopped wood all day? Was he the log he... cabin guy? Oh, oh, geez, man. This is your country, not my country. I don't know. Although I should know this because I'm married to an American. Well, yeah. I do. Me. Yeah, well, it, it is what it is. Um, how those cameras do it? <laughs> yeah, I think actually we're going to probably wrap it up for our first podcast. If you're listening to this, thank you so much for coming. Greg. My man. Buddy. What's up, man? Thanks Bam, for doing this that, with me. That stronghold. Um, look for all of the socials and stuff. Oh, what's up? Look for all of the socials of Stronghold MMA and things like that out after this video. Um, if you want to buy some Trouble Brewing beer, you can go do that. Look at craft beer shops and look online, Trouble Brewing. Um, we didn't talk about nerd stuff like World of Warcraft. We, we can do that another time. Yeah, um, we're definitely going to get a game culture uh, podcast coming mm-hmm. soon. Uh, thank you guys for listening. You can check me out. You can find... Oh, right there. Thank you, Wugong. We can find me on the social medias. Uh, Lucas Leisure on Facebook. Lucas Leisure on Instagram. And then you can check out stronghold.sg if you want to come and train with me. Also, if you're cool, you like to train, you like to talk shit, hit me up with an email. Totally. And uh, let me know come if you want to come talk place. on the podcast or train. 
The email is strongholdpodcast at gmail.com. So drop me a message there if you liked it. Let us know in the comments if you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you very much. Peace Peace out. Thanks.